I was, uh, you know, sometimes I fall into this YouTube rabbit hole at times. And I don't know why, I don't know how I got there. Do you, do you feel that way sometimes? You just get lost in a rabbit, YouTube rabbit hole, and you end up in a place where you have, I have no idea how, how I ended up there. That's, that was me, right? So I ended up, for, for some reason, I ended up with YouTube channels by these rich guys, right? These like, for the lack of the better word, gross rich guys, right? Young rich guys, millionaires. And they, and I call them gross, not because of sound judgmental, but gross in how they flaunt their wealth, right? I got 45 cars, right? I got a McLaren F whatever. So as I was, Maybe I was watching them like, you know, ladies watch, you know, The Bachelor, like a train wreck, right? I was watching them as, I, as they were flaunting their, you know, wealth. And one thing that I noticed about them was they're really confident, right? They're really confident. They're confident because they know they're rich. They're confident because they know they can buy anything and unfortunately, anyone that they want. Mind you, their confidence is misguided because, let's be honest, you know, the money they have is not really theirs because when they die, as the Bible says, everyone will take their money because their money is not really theirs because when they die, right, that money will go to someone, some other people are going to have that money. And number two, their confidence is misguided because their wealth cannot really do anything that is really significant. Their wealth can buy them McLarens and Ferraris and beach houses and, I don't know, Turks and Caicos, I suppose. But their wealth cannot give them purpose, cannot give them meaning, cannot transform them as a human being. Their wealth is really, really limited. They really are. Even if you have like $170 billion, what you can do with $170 billion is kind of limit, really limited because you can't really make any significant changes about you with that money. So their confidence is overvalued in their minds. But what I, when I was looking at their lives, I realized Christians are richer than they are because we have the true treasure. And because we're, really, we're wealthier than they, we should also live with confidence. I think one of the most important qualities of a Christian is living with confidence in this world. Confidence that comes in knowing how wealthy we are how rich we are in Christ. The Bible is very clear. If you are a Christian, everything that belongs to Jesus Christ belongs to you. This week, I was like obsessed with Romans chapter 8. I was listening to Romans chapter 8 over and over and over again, thinking about it, praying about it. I was just thinking about Romans 8 over and over and over again. And one of the clear messages of Romans chapter 8 
is that in Christ, we are adopted sons. All of us are adopted sons in Christ, of God in Jesus Christ. Paul uses the word sonship in Romans chapter 8 because unlike the Hebrew tradition where when a parent dies, the firstborn gets four times the inheritance than the other siblings, right? So, for example, if, like, Sean will get, so who's the only child here? Who's the eldest here? John's out. Rob's only child. June's only child. Oh, man, you guys are... So like, for you, if you have siblings, if you're from a Jewish family, like me, my older brother will get four times my parents' inheritance than me. That's the Jewish tradition. In the Roman tradition, adopted sons have the same legal rights to their inheritance as true sons. So in Romans chapter 8, Jesus calls us, all of us, male and female, God's adopted sons. And as adopted sons, we share the same inheritance as the true son, Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus Christ has, Romans 8 says, we have. It belongs to us. I will kind of, you know, explain what we have in Christ later on. But this is a very important fact and a very important homework that you need to do. Maybe the most important homework that you need to do next, this week when you go back, go back home is to research and pray over for God to reveal exactly how rich you are in Jesus Christ. Rather than me telling you how rich you are, you need to study it on your own to discover how rich you are. Because that's how God wants you to live, understanding this wealth that you have in Christ. When you know how blessed you are in Jesus Christ, you'll not, you will not only have confidence, but you will have the energy and the power and the desire to live a godly life. Without knowing how wealthy you are in Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry, your religion is just, you're just going through the motion. It has no power. But when you know how blessed you are, it will fill you with such energy. I think when I went to, Hill, I went to Alexandria Bible study. Is it called Alexandria? Whatever Hill, Bible study Hill belongs to, right? And one of the questions he'll ask me was, Peter, you're a workaholic. No, no secret there. How do, God, how do you find rest? And I was sincere in my answer to Hill. I said, Hill, I find rest because God constantly reveals himself to me. And that's true. The reason why I can work all these crazy hours is because God constantly reveals who I am, what I have in Christ. And that understanding gives me more rest and energy than a vacation to North Carolina could ever give me. Look, guys. I think people are like, I don't know about these days, but people are like really worried about burning out, right? They go, oh, I got to look at my work-life balance. I can't overwork. I got to like maintain my work-life balance. I need a proper rest. 
I don't think work-life balance is biblical, to be honest with you. Bible tells you to rest. That's true. But Jesus didn't work 40-hour work week. Paul didn't work a 40-hour work week. No one in the Bible worked a 40-hour work week. But the reason why Jesus and Paul and all the figures of the Bible could work unceasingly in their ministry in this world is because they knew the treasure they have in Jesus Christ. When you know this treasure that is yours, that will give you the energy to live. It really will. If you don't know this treasure, then all the vacation in the world cannot truly give you rest. Do you understand? Man, I'm starting this sermon really powerfully. i got to calm down a little bit. This whole sermon, which I'm going to end, try to end by 1210, right? Because we have other things we got to talk about. This whole portion of scripture that we read is about the blessings, the riches, that the king of, king of Egypt bestowed upon Joseph's brothers. That's what the chapter is about. The richness that Joseph's brothers received from the king of Egypt. For those of you who haven't joined us, right, from the beginning, we're, starting, we're, we're doing a long series about the life of Joseph. And maybe, maybe all of you will know who Joseph's brothers were. Joseph's brothers, as a brief recap, were 10 dudes when Joseph was 17 years old, because they were jealous of all the love and attention that Joseph was getting from their dad, Jacob, decided to first try to kill Jake, Joseph. They beat Joseph up to the inch of his life, threw him in a well so that he could just starve or, or dehydrate to death. So they beat him up to the inch of his life, threw him in an empty well so that he could, star he could die of starvation or dehydration. Not nice people. Then they changed their minds. They said, oh, why don't we just, rather than killing him, why don't we just make money off of him? So they sold their little brother to, as a slave. They, took, they got money from him, and they sold him off to be a slave. These were, these men, these were Joseph's brothers. The in murdering Slave-selling people, what does the king of Egypt give them? He gives them wealth beyond all measure. He gives them the best of Egypt. The brothers who try to kill Joseph, sell him to slavery, what do they end up getting? The very best of the most powerful nation in the world. Can you think about that? If there are more, un there is no more undeserving people than these dudes. They're re reprehensible, bad dudes. But God, through Pharaoh, gives them wealth beyond all measure. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. If you are a Christian, you are a Christian because despite who you are, and let's not kid ourselves, 
the same evil seed that is in Joseph's brothers, that all those seeds are in us. He gives, God gives us, rather than giving us what we deserve, he gives us wealth beyond all measure. That's a scandal of the gospel. Let's go to the verses. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. So when Pharaoh heard that Joseph found his brothers, it says it pleased him. He was filled with so much joy. Let's talk about that. Why would Pharaoh be pleased? Why would Pharaoh be pleased if he found, the fact, Joseph found his brothers. Will your boss be pleased if you found your brother, long-lost brothers? I, I know my partner, Dan, I love you, but he'll say, oh, that's nice. Well, that's about it, right? So Pharaoh, there were like a few responses that Pharaoh could do, right? When Pharaoh heard that Joseph found his brothers, there are a few possible responses that Pharaoh could, could show. First response was indifference. Yeah, good for you. Your brothers and Joseph has nothing to do with me, so I'm just totally indifferent to the news. Most people will hear that. Most people will react to that, right? So the Pharaoh could be indifferent. Hey, good for you, Joseph. Go to work. That's, that's what, if Pharaoh's Korean, that's what he'll do. Good for you, Joseph. Go to work, right? Two, Pharaoh could, could be worried that Joseph is going to be distracted, Right? Because remember, where Joseph is right now is year two of a severe famine. So Joseph still has a lot of work to do, right? And when Pharaoh heard that Joseph found this family, Pharaoh could worry that Joseph's going to be distracted. Oh, no, there's a lot of work to do, right? Oh, man, I wonder if Joseph's going to be distracted. I, I know people like that, right? When I say, hey, I want to go on vacation, like my, some of my bosses like freak out. Make sure to do this, make sure to do that, make sure to check your emails, da, 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 da. They're worried, right? Things are going to get, you know, missed and because, because I'll be distracted by, you know, you know by, by vacation. Darn vacation, great distraction of productivity. Pharaoh could worry about that, right? Because there's a lot to do. Egypt, the survival of Egypt was an end, so if Joseph could have been afraid that Joseph could be, could be distracted. Or three... If Pharaoh heard the complete story of Joseph's brothers, Pharaoh could be really angry at Joseph's brothers and say, I want those guys dead. Right? I mean, I had Bible study with the church small group, and people were really angered by those dudes. Right? So if Pharaoh acted like the people in the Bible study, Joseph's brothers would have died. And that Bible study found really creative ways of how to kill Joseph's brothers. I was really bothered by that, right? But, you know, so Pharaoh could have heard that. And said, I, yeah, I want those guys dead. He could be angry. He could be indifferent. He can be concerned, Pharaoh. But strange, Pharaoh, when he heard Joseph's brothers, the fact that Joseph found them, Pharaoh was pleased. Very pleased. Incredibly pleased. To the point where he gives Joseph's brothers the very best of the land. 
Why was Pharaoh so pleased to hear the news? You know why? Because Pharaoh was really pleased with Joseph. Because Pharaoh appreciated and valued Joseph, when Joseph, when he heard good things have, that Joseph found his brothers, it too pleased him so much. Look, maybe I told you guys this. Among all the paralegals I ever had, there's this paralegal named Elisa, who was my paralegal five years ago. There, there is no one like her. There will never be anyone like her in my mind. She was the superstar paralegal. She did it all. Unlike most, a lot of my paralegals who ask me questions ad nauseum. Jay, what about this? Jay, what about that? Jay, what about this? Oh, Elisa, God bless her soul. She took charge. She got things done. Right? Most of my paralegals come to me. I don't know the solution. Elisa would come to me and says, I think the solution is this and this and this. What should we do? She provided solutions. I go, oh, my land to Elisa. And she was smart. Oh, she was smart. The best paralegal I ever had. To the point where I adore her so. And I will, and she always, she always have a special heart, place in my heart. To the point where she, when she was applying to graduate school, I wrote 11 recommendations letters for her. When you ask me to write a recommendation letter, you know what I would say? I would say, hey, why don't you write it? And I'll just sign it. That's me. That's, that's my MO. So don't, write, don't ask me to write your recommendation letter, June. I'll say, hey, write it, and I'll sign it. That's my MO. But for me, oh, I reserve a special night on Sunday, and I wrote those 11 letters, yo. Because Elisa, oh, I was pleased with her. Because Joseph was so great at his job, Pharaoh was really pleased with Joseph, of the news that Joseph found his brother. It was because of Joseph, Pharaoh was pleased. Are you with me so far? So far so good? All right, we're making progress. So what are some of the things that Pharaoh promises the brothers? He promises Let's, let's, let's go over some of the things that he promised. Verse 17, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. Pharaoh promised Joseph's brothers, look, go back to Canaan, bring your family, bring your father, come back to Egypt and I will give you the very best of the land. Remember, the entire region, including Egypt and Israel, all the entire region, great famine. People were starving to death. But Pharaoh says, don't worry about the bros. Bring your father, bring your family, come back to Egypt, and I will give you the best of the land. The land that Pharaoh was talking about, I think, was the land of Goshen. That's what Joseph promised last week. Goshen is the area of northeast Egypt by the, by the Nile Delta. And that is known, even today, that is known for the most, most fertile topsoil of the region. You know what topsoil is? Do you, know, do you guys know what topsoil? I didn't know. I had to look it up. What is topsoil? Topsoil is the surface level of, the, of, of dirt. 
right, where most of the plants get their nourishment, evidently, that's what they say. The topsoil in Goshen, because it was near the Nile River, it's the very best. The topsoil by Goshen is the very best quality, which means the very best, it's very fertile for farming. Even now, the re- northeast region of Egypt, where Goshen used to be, even now it's known for their fruitful produce. In the land that is filled with famine, Pharaoh says, I'm going to give you the very best of the land. I'm going to give you Goshen. You're going to have plenty to eat. That's what Pharaoh's saying. He promises him this. Okay? Anyone can make a promise, right? Anyone can say, yeah, 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 I'll give you the best of the land. Yeah, sure. I promise you this. Anyone can make a promise. Like, yeah, I'll buy you lunch. June, yeah, I'll buy you Korean barbecue. Anyone can promise you Korean barbecue. But can you deliver Korean barbecue? How do you know Pharaoh will deliver? That's the next thing that the Pharaoh gives. Pharaoh says, as I think in order, as a guarantee of his promise, what does Pharaoh give? Pharaoh gives... Um, Verse 21, the sons Joseph, verse 20, okay, verse 21, the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the journey. How do they know that Pharaoh meant his word? The way, the, the way they knew they could trust Pharaoh's word was because the Pharaoh gave them provision for their journey back to their homeland to bring their father back. And the provision that Pharaoh gave to these brothers were not some lousy, you know, instant meal that they could take on their way back. He gave them the very best provisions. For their journey back home and for them to return back, Pharaoh gave them a wagon. You say, what's what's the big deal about a wagon? You know what a wagon is? You know what a wagon is. Horses, right? You know, and then you have horses, and you have like a little box, and you sit, and the horses like, you know, you sit, and the horses do their thing, and you travel with the wagon, right? During that time, wagons were not common in the land of Egypt. They weren't. Most people walked or rode donkeys. No one had wagons besides the king. The fact that you can sit and let the horse be carried by a wagon that the horse pulls, that's a novelty. That's like a big deal back in the day. It's like today, it's like, I don't know, Pharaoh giving you, what's a very good airplane? G4, G5, G7, I don't know, right? Fully loaded, right? With, with airline staff giving you champagne, is that kind of a thing that Pharaoh gave them, gave the brothers. Pharaoh gave them food, new clothes. He gave, and Joseph gave Benjamin 30 shekels of silver and five chains of clothes. Pharaoh gave them a lot to carry back home so they could come back to Egypt again. Pharaoh was very generous with his provision. Because Pharaoh gave them all these things for the journey, the brothers knew 
what Pharaoh promised them about the land was going to be true. Are you with me so far? Okay, trust me, all this have a point, and we're making really good time. And maybe I'll cut off, right? And this is what Pharaoh also told them in verse 20. He says, tell your family, just leave all the stuff they have in, they have in Canaan, just leave it, right? They might be tempted to pack everything that they have. You know, like those coming to America bags that you guys used when you, when you come to America, People you still use coming to, you know those big boxes that you tape and you, and, and you have to wait for in the conveyor belt? Pharaoh says, don't worry about it. Tell them to leave all their stuff at home because I'm going to give them the very best. Leave your J. Crew t-shirts at home. I'm going to give you Da Vinci t-shirts. <gasps> leave your, leave your, I don't know, leave your, JC Penny duck down jacket home, I'm going to give you Canadian goose. Leave your, I don't know, 50 inch Samsung TV at home, I'm going to give you a surround sound theater. I'm going to give you, don't worry about the stuff at home. I'm going to give you the very best. He promises them these things. For guys who tried to kill Joseph and sold him to slavery. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a miracle? They certainly do not deserve it. But God, but Pharaoh gave them to them because he was pleased with Joseph. Like I said, this models the gospel. God is very good to us. He, as Pharaoh, provided wealth beyond all measure to Joseph's brothers. God promises incredible wealth to his people. He really does. He provides this wealth not because we're deserving but because of Jesus Christ, because he's pleased with Jesus Christ. We have the strange notion that I need to do things for God to bless me. It's really weird. Even now, we think, oh, if I sacrifice myself, if I do a certain thing, then God's going to bless me. Evidence number one, early morning prayer meeting. I'm not dissing early morning prayer meetings. But many of a grandma come to early prayer meetings because they believe if I sacrifice sleep to come to early prayer meeting, if I sacrifice myself to do and do this thing, God's going to give me what I deserve, what I want. They think of God as a transactional God. I sacrifice, God's going to give me what I want. God's favor towards me is depending upon my sacrifice. It's really weird. People still think this way. If I do my quiet time, then God's going to bless me. If I show the church, then God's going to bless me. Look, this is dumb. When I was a kid, when I was in college, like, I, I used to serve under a pastor, right, who refuses to preach until he feels that we're, we're worthy of receiving God's mercy. It's weird. 
right? Like, so sometimes worship songs will go on and on because that dude didn't think we were ready to receive God's mercy. It's weird. You're not ready to receive the word of God. You got to pray more. You got to worship more. He thinks when we ready ourselves, then God will bless us with his presence. That's how cults work, by the way. I need to be prepared in order for God to bless me. Thank God that that kind of nonsense is not around anymore. But what do all these things have in common? I need to do it. I need to do something for God to bless me. Chris, the gospel is not that. The gospel is saying, regardless of who you are, If you're a Christian, God will bless you. God, you are wealthy because of Jesus Christ and not because of anything that you do. Romans 5.8, one of my life verses, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died. Christ died because we didn't prepare our hearts for him to die for us. Christ did not die because we were worthy for Christ to die for us. While we were the most unworthy people, just like Jacob's Joseph's brothers, while we were the most unworthy of God's people, while we were unworthy, Christ died. Romans chapter 8, all of us are people of the flesh. Our minds and attentions, what we want, we really want the things of the flesh. We don't want the things of the spirit. We don't want truth. We don't want the things of God. We just want the things of the flesh. And Paul says, while we were fleshly people, Christ sacrificed his life for us. While we were so disinterested in the things of God, Jesus Christ still died for us. We, are, we were wholly unworthy for the blood of Christ. But the blood of Christ was still spilled for us to make us clean. And in Christ, we are made righteous. And because we are made righteous in Christ, God will bless us, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus Christ did. And this is very, very important for you to understand this constantly in your daily lives. Because we think, if I make a mistake, God's going to punish me. If I make a mistake, God's going to be far from me. If I make a mistake, if I sin, God's not going to bless me. That's not true. The blessings of God, God's presence in your life, is not contingent upon how faithful you are. But it's contingent upon the promises and the blessings and the work of Jesus Christ. Look, sometimes I say things and I do things that are very shameworthy. I am so shameful and embarrassed by the things that I think of and say and do. I really am. And I know, and in those moments, I know that I don't deserve God to be in my life. I really, I know that because of these things that I do, I know that I don't deserve God to be in my life. I really do think that way at times. 
but God doesn't stop revealing himself to me. That's the strangest thing. Even in my lowest point, even in the most darkest hour, God doesn't stop his presence in my life. His presence often involves me understanding my sin and making me see understanding my sin so that I can understand his grace. But even in my darkest hour, God's grace doesn't stop in my life. Why? Because God's blessing is not contingent upon me. It's contingent about Jesus Christ because he's pleased with Jesus Christ. Do not be so worried that God's not going to bless you because you weren't faithful to him. That's not how a Christian lives. The Christian knows, despite who you are, Christ saved you. Christ made you righteous. And God's going to bless you with himself because of Christ and not because of you. So when you sin, when you're afraid that God's not going to be there for you, fight these thoughts with the understanding that God is God is going to be with you, not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ. Understand? As Joseph's brothers received the best of the land because of Joseph, because of Christ, God promises us magnificent things. And one of the most magnificent things that God promises us is glory. That's what Romans chapter 8 is about. When you are in Christ, God will give you glory. What does that mean, God will give you glory? Romans 8 means two specific things. Number one, what God gives you glory, it means God's going to give you the restored heaven and earth. The, heaven and, the earth right now, the universe right now, it's not it's because of sin, it's, it's been corrupted. The universe is not in its glorious form because of the corruption of sin. There is chaos, there is death, there's disorder, right? Creation is a mess because of sin. Tsunamis kill thousands of people. Volcanoes erupt, earthquakes happen. Creation is in chaos because of human sin. Everything is disordered. It's not the way it is supposed to be. And the main example of this is death. People weren't supposed to die. But when Christ returns, he's going to restore this world back to his glorious form. And the restored glorious earth he will give to his people. The glorious heaven and earth, it belongs to you. That's why Jesus says, don't worry so much about the treasures of this life. Treasures of this life is fading. 
you're going to get a more glorious treasure. Treasure of this glorious world. You're going to have it. One of my pastimes is I listen to the most liberal of political commentators. I really, I really love them. I listen to the most liberal of them all, right? Like borderline communists, right? And listening to them long enough, I realize, you know, most of them come from a good place. Most of them see the world as an unjust place. The world is unjust, and they want to restore justice in the world. That's what these guys want to do. They want to restore justice in this world. But they don't understand. They cannot do anything to restore true justice because they cannot do anything about the human heart. But, the, but I want to tell them, the world that you crave for, the world of justice, is coming. God's going to usher in that world through Christ. And if you are a Christian, you are the inheritors of that just world. The world that we will receive, the world that we will receive is a world that is void of injustice, hatred, and division. It is no longer be the world where parents give up their, abandon their children. It will no longer be the world where men and women use each other for their own benefit. It will be a world free of, 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 of just hardship and diseases. This renewed world is yours. Second meaning of glory is not only will God give you the restored world, he will restore your glory. What does it mean? You are not the glorious form in which God designed you. Much like creation, humanity is filled with chaos, disorder, division, insanity, depression, anxiety. Your soul is not in its glorious form. It's not. Your body is decaying. Your mind is not clear. Our emotions are not where, where they're supposed to be. We are living in a disorderly existence. But when Christ returns, he will renew your body. He will give you a glorious body. He will give you a body that will never die. He will restore your mind and your emotions to their glorious state. The world and the people in it are insane and in chaos, but when Christ returns, he will restore the glorious nature of everything, and he will give you the glorious form to you. That's what we will get in Christ. Let the unbelievers have the nonsense things of this life. Right? Let them have what they think will give them glory in this world. Let them have it. For us, something more, something better, something more glorious is waiting for us. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph's brothers, don't worry about the stuff that you leave behind because I'm going to give you something better. That's exactly what God is telling us. Don't worry so much about what this inglorious world promises you. What God would give you is so much better. He will give you those things. And that's the treasure that we have. Question is, how do you know? How do you know God's going to promise us this? How do I know it's not just a pipe dream? How do I know I'm really going to give, I'm, all, I'm really going to receive glory? How do I know? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, verses 13 to 14 says, God has given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment of your faith. What does that mean? It means the way you know that you receive glory in the future is if you know the Holy Spirit working in you now. If the Holy Spirit is working in you now to rebuild your sanity, to rebuild your emotions, to rebuild your spirit, if you're experiencing the rebuilding of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now, that's evidence that he's going to give you glory in the future. Does that make sense? How are you certain? How am I certain I'm going to receive glory? Because the Holy Spirit is working with me in me now. Do you understand? Look, the easiest way that I can explain this to you is, think of prayer not as this thing that you need, you need to ask thing that you need to do to ask God for things, but primarily think of prayer as a, commun a communing with God. You really got to think of prayer that way. When you commune with God, the Holy Spirit does his ministry in you. He really does. When you commune with God, he really does renew your mind. He really does renew your emotions. He really does renew your morality. He really does do this. He really does this. You can hear testimony, a testimony, a testimony of people who were changed, who were transformed morally, intellectually, emotionally in Christ. The Holy Spirit really does this. When you experience the Holy Spirit doing this to you, you know what God promised you in the future you will receive. Like I said last week, the reason I pray is very for selfish reasons, really. I pray, yeah, because I'm your pastor, and I kind of have to a little bit. That's true. But more important, the reason why I pray, it is because I restore, I receive healing in God when I do so. There is something about thinking about Romans chapter 8 and praying to God about it and thinking about it and praying about it and writing about it. There's a healing that comes when I do this. The Holy Spirit really does work in you. He re if you're a Christian, he really does work in you. Without fail, he will do it. When you experience this, then you know glorious things will come to you. On the flip side, 
if you are not, if you're a stranger to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you have not been given the Holy Spirit, then I don't know, with all due respect and love, I don't know whether you're going to receive glory in the future. Do you understand? Are you wealthy in Christ? Are you wealthy in Christ? Are you living in the awareness of the blessings that you have in Christ? God is calling you to come to him in prayer and the study of your word so that you can know day by day. So that through the Holy Spirit, he will restore you. If you, have, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, maybe it's with all due respect, you are not saved. If the Holy Spirit is not ministering to you, maybe you're not saved. And if that's you, I don't mean to condemn you. Please come talk to me. So we can pray and we can we can pray together so that you will be saved. Let us pray.